Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It really is a privilege for me to be here, so thank you, Josh and Chris, for the invitation to be with you all this morning, and I really do, um, I hold this church, this church has just a, a special place in my heart, so it really is a joy and privilege for me to be here, and I really do, I really do love you all, so, so thanks for letting me be with you this morning, and if you could turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 27 through 32 this morning. If you're new to your Bible, Luke is the third book of the New Testament, so it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, it's one of the Gospels. So it's one of the books that tells the, sto- so, sort of the story of Christ and his teachings and, and just a first-person account. So it's third book of the New Testament, and we'll be looking at one of the stories of the life of Jesus. But just by way of introduction, my, this year, for my, my kids are five and eight this year, and I've been doing a lot of just learning history and sort of some basic sort of history in American history. So they've been learning just a lot of, a lot of different figures in history and, and in our history. And one of the things that they've been learning about is just different figures, you know, the presidents and sort of the, the major sort of players in American history. And they, they remember them all by their nicknames. So what they don't remember, they don't necessarily remember all the facts or, you know, even what a president is, but they, they're starting to remember like, okay, you know, this guy was this nickname and this guy was this nickname and so on and so forth. So their favorite ones, my, my son's favorite one is, is Honest Abe. He just really likes the nickname Honest Abe. And so he really likes the story of of Abraham Lincoln and, and all this sort of stuff. So I don't know what he could tell you about Abraham Lincoln, but what he could tell you is that Abraham Lincoln was very honest, and so he sort of has that fact down. And, and the way that Abraham Lincoln got his nickname Honest Abe is, is sort of the legend tells of when he was a shopkeeper in Illinois. So before he was in politics, he was a shopkeeper, and one time a woman came into the store, and, and whatever happened, she overpaid for her, for her stuff, and she went on her way, and at the end of the day, he's doing the bookkeeping, and he realizes that this woman had overpaid by six cents. So the story goes that he walked miles to her house, returned the money, and then walked miles back. And sort of the legend of his honesty and his integrity and his hard work grew over time. And whether it's true or not, the story stuck around and sort of it cemented his legacy as this honest and trustworthy man. In one sense, you know, it was one simple story of this man's life, but, but it captures so much of what this man was about. It captures so much of what was true and what really people identify with him today. In a sense, that's what we have as we turn to Luke chapter 5 about the life of Jesus. It serves, if you will, as a living parable. It's a simple story, and we can obviously never capture all there is to capture in one story about the person of Jesus Christ, but it does tell us so much about him and his values and his priorities and what he's about. It tells us about what he came to do. It tells us of the hope he offers. It tells us of his priorities. It tells us that we can't turn anywhere instead of him. And so though it's a simple story, I do believe it shows us much about the man in it. So it's not just a simple story. I believe it captures much of the character of Christ and of of his mission. So let's read chapter 5, verses 27 through 32 together. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Very simple point this morning, very simple main point this morning is the Savior's purpose is saving and transforming sinners. The Savior's purpose is saving and transforming sinners, but before we go any further, let's pray. Father, I I do pray as we look at this transformative effect that you had on a man 2,000 years ago, one of your disciples 2,000 years ago, Lord, would remind us of the, the, the dramatic and profound effect that you not just had on a man 2,000 years ago, but that you've had on us, that you've had on all those who have followed you. Lord, would you remind us that just like Levi, we've, we've left everything, but Lord, we have gained so much more. And Lord, would you, like you did for Levi 2,000 years ago, transform our lives in an increasing way. Lord, like you did for Levi 2,000 years ago, Lord, would you transform our mission as well to be people more and more, not about ourselves, not about this passing life, but more and more about you and your great mission on this earth. So Lord, would you, through your word this morning, continue your transformative effect on those you've called. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Again, so the main point is that the Savior's purpose is saving and transforming sinners. And again, a real simple point. Hopefully, as you come into church this morning, this idea of, of Christ is really not that surprising that, okay, this is something he does. Um, but as we look at Levi this morning, I want to look not just at this man, but I think we're going to really see what, we're going to hopefully see our lives as well and what, what our call is as well. So four points we're going to be looking at. And point number one is the call of the Savior. The call of the Savior. So it's easy to read this familiar story because this might be a story we're, we're familiar with. I think it's easy to miss what, what made so much of this story radical to those who would have first heard the story. So I want to look at a little bit of what's going on here. So in verse 27, it says, after this. So, so what's going on preceding verse 27 is that Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry. So he's just called his first disciples. He's performing his first miracles. And for the first time in his time here on earth, he, he's really building this crowd. So he's building a crowd and he's building a following. But as part of this crowd and as part of this following, he also has this increased opposition. And we come right from where he healed a paralytic man. And so there's this growing, there's this growing tension that's going on. So he's gaining followers, but, he, but, he's, but he's gaining dissenters and miracles are happening. So all this is going on in the background. And as all this is going on, he sees a tax collector named Levi. And we know from elsewhere that Levi is also known as Matthew. So this is Jesus' first meeting with his disciple Matthew. And in one verse, we, we learn so much of Christ and his heart and his character. First thing we notice as he interacts with Matthew is, and with Levi is who makes the first move. So what we notice in this story is that Jesus approaches Levi. Jesus doesn't sit back and wait. And once Levi was good enough or contrite enough or gifted enough or whatever, there's none of that happening. What he does is he approaches Levi. Now this should just 
should appreciate that this is the holy God of the universe approaching a sinner. Then we should also note that this is not just any sinner. This was Levi, and Levi is a tax collector. And Levi is a tax collector who is sitting at a tax booth. Now, what, what, what Luke's doing here is he's going out of his way to make sure you know this. It's obvious. Levi is a tax collector. You can't mistake Levi for anything else. This is not a case of mistaken identity. This is not Jesus met him at a market, didn't know who he was. This is obvious. Levi is a tax collector. Now, this is important because tax collectors were despised in this day, and they were rightly despised in this day. You probably all kind of know like a lawyer joke or something, you know, a stereotype about lawyers or something like that. But, but we kind of, we all know, you know, mo- most of them are good. There's just a few bad ones and we like to make fun of them or something like that. But this is a profession where they're all bad ones, where all it attracts is the bad ones. Tax collectors represented the Roman government and they were despised by the Jews. They skimmed for themselves. They stole for themselves. They worked against their fellow citizens to gain for themselves and to gain for a corrupt government. So they worked for this government, they reported to this government, and they would just do whatever they needed to do to gain for themselves. And there was really no recourse if the tax collector sort of gave a bad report on you or told you you owed more. So their profession was despised, and this man was despised. And now in full view of everyone, in full view of the growing crowd, Jesus goes to him and pursues him And tells him and offers him, follow me. And we'll note Levi's response in more detail in a moment. But this wasn't simply Jesus saying, hey, listen, I'm on my way to this next town. Sign this pledge, you know, saying you support me and and I'll be on my way. Now, this is be numbered with me. This is I'm going to be associated with you and you're going to be associated with me. This is we're going to lock arms and we're going to walk out this earthly life together. We'll get this more in a moment, but this meant for Levi, he had to leave everything behind. But note what this first means on Christ. For Christ, this means you now have the tax collector on your team. And Christ, this is your pursuit. This is your choice. This association works both ways. This isn't just him claiming you, Christ. This is Christ. You're, you're claiming this guy. So it speaks something of, of Christ from the very beginning. And then in the verse 29, he's eating with him. And he's eating with a bunch of others as well. Meals then represented really just this friendship and a relational closeness. And Jesus is eating with them and he's reclining at table with them. Jesus is all in with this group of of tax collectors and sinners. Made more remarkable by the fact that the first three chapters of Luke draw our attention to his arrival on earth. So we're just after talking about his arrival on earth, that this is the holy God himself coming in the form of a man, that this is the holy one of heaven now approaching sinners and not just sinners, the very worst of society, the most despised, the most hopeless. And he now pursues them and he befriends them and he calls sinners to life with him. In doing so, he, he he actually redefine, doesn't redefine, he clarifies what it means to be a sinner. He clarifies what our problem actually is. Because if you're a Pharisee in this day, you believe what sin is, is what's on the outside. You believe sin is what's on the external. So the Pharisees believe, well, if you hang out with somebody who's unclean, then, then you are unclean. But Jesus will have none of that. He recognizes that, that, that's not what makes you a sinner. Sin, sin's not from the outside in it's from the inside out and it's universal every person is a is a sinner and from 
Every person is a sinner from, 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 from the core, from their inside, and, and sin just finds ways to work itself out. So the Pharisees are angry because if you associate with the unclean, then you are unclean. At least that's what they think. But Jesus is showing, no, it's not, it's not what's on the outside that makes you unclean, but it's what's on the inside. And Jesus is showing, it's not that sinners bring Jesus down, but rather he's come to, to raise them up. Sinners don't conquer his holiness. His, his holiness conquers sinners. And so he's calling sinners and he's befriending sinners. Now he's still the holy God, never lowered by them, but he stoops down to them to, to, to raise them up. Now this should amaze us about God. See, Jesus isn't just talking of a love of sinners. He's not just throwing out platitudes of, for, about his love of sinners. He's demonstrating in a very real way. He is a friend of sinners. He will pursue those who the world despises. Here's, here's what we see of Jesus. Here, here, here's the world. The world, despite being in sin, likes to cast out those who are in sin. God, who is the Holy One, who could have and should have cast out, instead decides to draw in sinners. So the Savior's purpose is saving and transforming sinners. The second thing we see is the response of sinners. The response of sinners. So here, Jesus calls a sinner, and there are two primary responses in this passage. One is the response of Levi. Levi left everything, rose, and followed him. Again, just to set the scene a little bit, Levi is sitting at his job when Jesus calls. And Jesus calls, and then he leaves. Now, he is an agent of the government. He is despised in, in society. He holds a sought-out-after job. There is no going back for Levi. If this Jesus thing doesn't work out, he's just abandoned his post. He's just left his job. He, he didn't gather his belongings. This is just a total and radical departure for leaving. There's no contingency plan or plan B. There's no sort of options that Levi would have on the side at this point. He just leaves. There's this radical departure right away of his old life to a completely new life for Levi. Levi left never to return. Now, if you're in Levi's position, you just left a prosperous job. We know from elsewhere that, that, that he was a wealthy man. He is now going to an unknown place, to a future that to him was completely unknown. Now, one might think if you're in Levi's position, given sort of the, just the recent events of the last five minutes that, you know, this might be a cause of fear or anxiousness or maybe some second guessing, like oh, maybe, maybe slow down on this thing. But what, what do we see with Levi? We don't see any of that. We just see a celebration. So Levi throws a party. He invites all his friends. He has this great feast. He has a large company. So Levi just left, left everything he had behind. And he believes that's a reason to celebrate. And he invites all he knows to celebrate with him. So even though this leaving everything behind cost him everything, he immediately knew he gained something so much more. He gained more than what he lost. And so he leaves it all, but he is, and he's glad that he did. And so he celebrates. We see another reaction as well in verse 30. The Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders, they, they grumble. They say, well, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, this is not a, an informational question. This is an accusatory question. This is a self-righteous question. You could almost hear, how dare you eat with tax collectors and sinners? And we're going to talk more of this exchange in a moment. But, but, but Jesus answers their question this way. Well, here, here's why. Because 
Well, those who are well don't need a doctor. It's those who are sick. Those who are righteous don't need a savior. It's sinners do. Of course I come to eat with them. The, the, the reason I came, the, the reason I'm here. So what caused the wildly contrasting reaction of each? I believe the wildly contrasting reaction of each was caused by who they believed they were. See, Levi knew he was an outcast. He knew he was a sinner. He knew he was cut off from God. He knew he had a condition of the soul that was way too big for him to handle. So when Christ said, follow me, he leapt at the chance. He saw himself rightly, and because he saw himself rightly, he, 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 so that allowed him to see Christ rightly. The Pharisees, they didn't see themselves as needy. See, the Pharisees thought of when they thought of the word sinner, they, they, thought, they didn't think of myself, they, they, they thought of this category that applied to other people, that sinners were those we look down upon, there's not those who we look inward to. Pharisees might need help, but they don't, they don't need saving. Now, it's not that they were healthy or holy, it's not that they didn't need saving, it's that they didn't realize it. They missed who they were, therefore they missed who Jesus was, and so they reject Christ, they accuse Christ, they scoff at Christ. John MacArthur writes, why did Jesus come into the world? To call sinners. Those who knew they have a terminal disease, those who are hopeless and desperate, those who are hurting, those who are hungry and thirsty, those who are weak and weary, those who are broken, those, who those whose lives are shattered, those who are desperate, sinners who know they are unworthy yet long to be forgiven. People do not come for healing unless they know they have a disease, they do not come for life unless they are conscious that they are under the penalty of death. They do not come for salvation unless they are weary of the bondage of sin. See, if, if you're not a sinner or if someone else comes to your mind when, when you think of sinners or if you're better than others, just need a little bit of help, or quite honestly, just leaving everything is too much to leave, then you'll never see the Savior rightly. But if, if you're a sinner... And leaving everything doesn't even seem enough. And if your heart's not, how, how could you be with them? But how could you be with me? Then you'll begin to see the Savior rightly. The question, though, for your life isn't which one are you, it's which do you see yourself as? See, Levi saw himself rightly. The Pharisees missed who they were. So apart from Christ, what is, what's your self-assessment? of your own life. See, again, the Savior's purpose is saving and transforming sinners. The third thing we're going to see is the mission of the Savior, the mission of the Savior. So here's the scene. Jesus calls the despised one of the world, the self-important of the world, the culturally important of the world, the influential of the world. Well, they take offense at this. They ask, well, why do you, why do you eat with them? So he calls the unworthy and those who believe themselves worthy are all offended. Now, not for the same reasons the Pharisees had it, and not for the same tone the Pharisees had it, but something about their question should, should, should resonate as, well, that's a good question. See, something should come to our mind that, that we should, you know, something should seem off to us about Jesus coming to sinners. See, it's easy to sort of pile on the Pharisees, you know, in, in their tone and their, ultimately their complete lack of self-awareness, but, but the Pharisees bring up a good point because Jesus is God, and God is holy, and a holy God and sinful humanity are, are, are the antithesis of one another. They, they don't go together. 
They can't just agree to disagree, but sort of try to get along. It's not simply enough for Jesus to say, you know, my heart goes out to these people, and that, that's just going to be good. enough. That, that's not enough. See, one of the marks of God's holiness is that he is absolutely opposed to sin. So while the charge of the Pharisees was wrong, the, the question's somewhat legitimate in that Jesus, as we've just seen through the first four chapters, is fully holy God, and yet he here, here, he, is a, here he is with sinners. He, he calls himself a friend of sinners with those who are dirty and unclean. And apparently this isn't just something sort of, this wasn't just a one-time act in the life of Jesus. This seems to be central to his identity. This is not an isolated story, but this book is full of stories of Jesus coming to sinners. History is filled with countless stories of Jesus coming to sinners. So, th so the question is, well, how, how can this be? And he answers in verse 32 by saying, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So it's not just that that's who he calls. He calls them to do something. I've come to call sinners to repentance. See, so it's not just who he calls, it's what he calls them to do. The reason he can do all this is because of what he calls them to. He calls them to repentance. So how can he be with sinners? Well, it's because of what he calls them to. See, he doesn't call sinners to cleaning up appearances or for exchanging the filthy rags of their life to something a little less dirty. He doesn't call sinners to one-time acts of contrition or to sorrow over sin. He doesn't call sinners to more effort over life, in their life. He calls sinners to repentance. Now, what is repentance? It's a lifestyle that forsakes the old life for Christ and the old sins and the old passions and the old allegiances for Christ. It's, it's turning from something and turning towards Christ as a lifestyle, as a daily decision as an act of your will each and every day to turn from this and turn to him this and not that every day and sinners and Christ can do this Christ can call them to this because in his life death and resurrection he's offering sinners not just a chance to clean up their not just a chance to clean up their acts a little he's not even offering an example for them to follow of how to live the rules out better but he's offering them one who takes their sin upon himself and offers them new life in him instead. See, what he's offering in repentance isn't some heavy weight that sort of we get forced into. What he's offering in repentance is a gift from Christ to turn from death to life and to do it every day in every corner of their life. And he's saying, I call sinners to that. I can be with sinners because I call them to turn from that and turn to me and place their faith in the only one that can transform them from the inside out. And so he can call them to that. And what Levi saw is when he turned, it was an absolute joy. Levi went from stealing to Christ, and that cost him his earthly wealth, but he gained something so much greater. And it's why Christ says he came. Christ could have come to build an empire or to gain prestige or worldly wealth or influence. He could have easily impressed the crowd. He could have come to shake up the world order or to expand humanity's thinking. But here's why he says, I came. No, I came to call sinners and to save sinners and to transform sinners. This is not an incidental secondary part. It's, it's driving his purpose on earth. It's why he came to earth. He's calling sinners to repentance. And he's calling sinners to repentance 2,000 years ago, and he's calling to sinners to repentance now. 
And uh, some see it, some saw it, others don't, but he's calling, he's calling then, and he's calling now. He is not calling those who'd be voted most likely to succeed. He is not trying to build the most impressive roster. He is not calling the, the who's who of this per current life. He is calling sinners. And I'm aware that there are some here this morning who, who, who feel like, you know, I might, I, I might, I might be able to be forgiven, but I'm never going to be fully loved and accepted. You know, I believe, you know, I'll repent, but, you know, but as he calls me to follow him, what, what, what I think he's really doing is he's saying, you know, for you, you follow me at a distance a little bit. So I could be on his team, but I'm going to follow him a little further behind. I, I'm never going to be, never going to be in. I was thinking about the idea of, of, of a resume. You know, in a resume, you tend to put the things, right, that, that sort of accentuate what you do well. You don't put the, th you know, you don't lie, hopefully, but you, you don't put the things that you maybe don't do as well. So if you're bad at Microsoft Word, that's probably not making the resume. Like, hey, I, I know I really want the secretary job, but I can't type. I mean, you don't sort of say that. You sort of say, hey, I'm good at managing an office, or I'm good, you know, whatever it is. I mean, you sort of have the sense of, here's what I'm good at, and and all this kind of stuff. And so he, here's the deal with, with, with coming to Christ. Here's what, here's what Christ mentions as a prerequisite of the job of following him. All right, you ready for it? Here, here's, the, here's the resume you need to have. So this better be top line of your resume. All right, here's who he's coming for. I'm coming for sinners. So if you're a sinner, know this. That's why I came. So listen, if you, if you feel unworthy, I'm not going to argue with you. I think I would just say, okay. That's why Christ would say he came. And so let Jesus have a word with your heart. Don't, listen, sinners don't push him away. He would say, no, that's actually why he came. He came for the unworthy. I came to call them and to love them and to save them and transform them. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna leave them as they once were, but I'm gonna transform them and make them a new creation. So your past sin in no way ever forfeits his love and affection for you. Rather, it's his love and affection that brought him so that he could forgive you of your past. So let that have a word with your heart that Jesus Christ is not surprised. He's not slowed down by your past. But could, too, just quickly speak to anybody here who is not a believer in Jesus Christ, who is not a Christian, you know, one of the things that we're going to talk more about this in a moment, but it's obvious from this passage, is if you choose to follow Jesus Christ with your life, I want to be up front that it will cost you everything. If you choose to follow Christ, it will, will cost you everything. We're going to talk more about what it cost Levi in a moment, but it was, it was all, it was his entire life. It was his earthly life as he left his old business to join Christ. It eventually cost him his physical life as he was martyred. Christ cost all. And it's not just 2,000 years ago, that's the same today. Whether, whether you're a martyr or not, Jesus Christ costs everything. But you need to recognize something else. So does your sin. See, sin leads to death every single time. So both Christ and sin offer you this, come and die. 
but only one brings with it eternal life. See, sin offers life, but it doesn't deliver. It's filled with false promises and false hopes. Christ offers life and life eternal, and he delivers every time. So if you don't have a relationship with God through the person and work of Jesus Christ, you, know, you, you face at your life right now a, a fork in the road, sort of a, a, you can go down two different roads. You can go down two different paths, and you can, you can pursue sin, you can pursue just living for yourself. You can just think, you know, I don't really get what all this, this Jesus stuff, I, I don't, I, I'm good, I don't, I don't need it. You, you, you can go down that road. Or you can repent and place your faith in Jesus Christ. Both roads will cost you your life. But only one will deliver on what it promises. Only one will bring life in return. Only one can both not only cost everything, but deliver even more. So if you've never turned from your sins and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I would implore you to take the road that not only leads to death, take the only road that leads to life. Fourth thing we want to look at this morning is now the mission of the saved. So the Savior's purpose is saving and transforming sinners. Fourth point is the mission of the saved. So in this passage, we don't just get, a se- we don't just get what Jesus came to do, but we get, a, we get a sense of the impact it makes on those he redeems. See, the Savior, ha- Savior has a purpose, and when he calls a sinner and when he transforms a sinner, well, their purpose changes too. See, what happened to Levi isn't just a one-time thing. It's what happens to sinners and what's supposed to happen to sinners when they come to their Savior. Their purpose and their mission changes too. Here's what it did to Levi. It redefined his life on earth. How how about this for sort of a a redefining of life? A little sort of irony in this passage is that when Jesus went to the tax booth, most commentators think, given the location of where he was sort of geographically at the time and sort of from the next story is that he was between the sea and, and sort of the, the marketplace that, he, that Levi was actually a, a tax collector of fishermen. So he was between the sea and the market. So the ones he collected taxes were from, were from fishermen. So he, the ones he stole from and ripped off were, were, were fishermen. Now, right before Jesus called Levi, the people he just called was a group of fishermen. Now, that could have been an awkward moment in there. These disciples that he just called were new to Christ. You could imagine the scenario like, hey, Jesus, we're we're new to this thing, but maybe a different guy right now. You know, just sort of, I'm sensing somebody else. Except I don't think you see any of that. Because from moment one, Jesus Christ changes everything. From moment one, the, the people he once extorted are now his friends and his brothers. It doesn't matter who you once were when in Christ it's all abandoned. It's all left behind. From moment one, your life is redefined. So his call to follow him, well, what did he do? He left his job, he left his wealth, he redefined all earthly success, and he invited immediately all he knew, all his friends to a celebration to tell them of the one he met so that they might need him too because they need him too, and they need him too, and they need him too. Levi's life was turned upside down, and he never went back. He followed Jesus the rest of his life, and after the cross and resurrection proved finally to Matthew, who Jesus really was. It was the mission of his life to not just tell some friends that he knew, but to tell the world of Jesus Christ to the point where he was killed for preaching of Jesus. See, when Levi answered the call, 
doesn't simply, it didn't simply modify his existing life, but his outlook and his mission completely changed. His mission became the mission of his master. He has no separate mission, but the mission of the one who created him and pursued him and saved him and secured him and adopted him and loved him. Now that's obvious. That's what it did for a disciple 2,000 years ago. What I would ask is, does it do any less for us today? Or does the same Savior call sinners still, save and empower them by his Spirit still, ask them to abandon everything, only to offer them more still? Now I'm not called out of the tax booth, but when I'm called to, but I'm called to leave all, and Jesus offered for me to follow him. And time and circumstance have changed exactly what he's called you out of, but he's called, to, he's called you to leave it all only to offer you more to follow him. I was thinking about the, my favorite place on earth is 10100 Stanley Court, Spotsylvania, Virginia, because 10100 Stanley Court is, it's our home. And it's, it's, a, it's, not the, it's not the biggest home. You wouldn't look at it and think it's the most impressive. It's not in the nicest of neighborhoods. There's no HOA and it shows from yard one. It's not, but it's my favorite place on earth, and it's for, for my wife and I. We're celebrating 10 years in a couple months. It's, it's our first home. So we had a bunch of apartments sort of before this. We moved about five times in like three and a half years before this home. But this is, this is our first home. And so why it's my favorite place on earth is not just because we signed the papers. It's my favorite place on earth because it's, it's the place where I brought my son home. And, when, and it's the place where... Most of my memories are for, for my wife and I, and it's the place where we've had so many Christmases, and it's the place where we've had about every member of our church over, over for dinner at some point, and it's, it, it's, the, it's, it's, the, only, it's the only home my, my kids have really ever known. And it, it, I mean, I could go on, but, it, but it's, it's this place to me, and it's this place in my heart. It, it's, the, it's the dearest place on the world to me. But before it was any of these things, it was a foreclosed home. And bef so before it was any of the things that, that made it so special to me, made it the things that I loved, make it the thing that, that I, I the, the place I cherish more than any place on earth, before it was, a, it, was this four it was this foreclosed home, and this home was a wreck. So we, the way we got to meet about half our church was they would come over about, I mean, so many people spent most of their Saturday mornings just hauling trash from our yard. We just had, like, truckloads and truckloads of trash in our yard. We had to, literally every room in the house needed new flooring, needed new, like, we had to take out so many, I mean, we had to do so much. Campbell Home Improvement just had a truckload just kind of constantly coming up and helping with the home, and, and we, we, it, it was just a total, it was just a total renovation in that sense of just how much work this home required. But you know, when I, when I think of this home, I don't, I don't think of the work that was required. I don't think of the fact that there's still a really long list of things to go I think of the fact that this is this is our home this is where we hold all these memories you know when, when we talk about Jesus changing everything when he says to follow him he doesn't say follow me in this way hey listen I'm up ahead of you do your best to keep up no what he says listen when you follow me know this I'm coming to dwell in you I'm moving in. I'm not staying at your place a couple weeks and see how it goes. I'm in. And this, this dwelling place, it's going to be renovated. There might be some rooms that are a little better than others, but I'm, 
the whole thing's getting gutted. But this is where I live now. And this home needs the renovation work. I'm going to do it because I love it. I encourage you that Jesus knows what he's doing. And the good work he began, he's going to finish. And listen, he's, I know he's getting dirty now. I know it still feels like, boy, there's still a lot of work to go. But here's the reality. You are being and you will be transformed. Jesus Christ changes everything changes everything about us. He changes our purpose and he changes our mission as well to be his, to, to be like his mission and his purpose. He transforms his people little by little, but he, tra- he transforms them with certainty. So after he left the earth physically, he sent his spirit to dwell in us and he will come back to us someday. But in the meantime, he wants more and more people added to his family. And so following him and being transformed by him leads to making his mission our mission. Now, here's the reality. Only, we don't, we don't save sinners. Only one has done that. Only one can do that. Only one does do that. Only Christ saves sinners. But our mission is transformed to pointing people to, to, to him, to, te- to show the great need of him, and to show the great hope and promises he offers. So this is real simple. So let's tell of him and point to him. I know, I'm a, I know I'm a guest here in your church, this one, but I do know this. It's the one message this church has. It's the only message disciples have. Listen, I'm not, there, there's other messages out there in the world, but, the mess, but this is the message this church has. Is it's of the Christ who saves sinners. And I know this community desperately needs to hear. So here's my encouragement. Let's be about going and telling. Let me ask, what else as his disciples do we really want to speak of? It's the one message you've got. It's the one message my church has. It's the one message I've got. It's the one message you have, and it's still his purpose. So let me encourage you to go and keep going ahead in this great mission and pray that he stops for another and another and another like he stopped for each and every one of us and say to them, follow me. Savior's purpose is saving and transforming sinners. Let's pray. Father, would you... Continue your good work in the life of this church and the life of every individual member of this church of making them more and more about your mission here on earth. Lord, would we be more and more, would, would this people be, would, would, would my church be, would, would, my, would I be more and more a person who, who says you need to meet him, you need to see him. So would you continue your good work? And Lord, we are confident you will knowing that when you begin a good work, you complete a good work every time. So, Father, thank you for doing that in us. And we long to see it in more and more people in this community. Pray this in Jesus' name.